Hey, here's what we're going to wrap up Ecclesiastes today. All right. Frankly, I'm just tired of pointing out meaninglessness of your life, but but and just I want to get into the uh, good parts of the holiday. No, not funny. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Take your notes out. Flip it over to the back. We're going to go to the end first in case you fall asleep while I'm talking. You will be on the same page when we leave. Okay, here, here's, here's, here's kind of the main point of where we're going today. Um, let me just give you this and I'll explain it and then we'll, we'll go back to the beginning. Uh, the conclusion of today, the main point today, whatever, whatever words you want to put there, is living a life that carries with it eternal significance, which is a meaningful life, is a life lived by faith. I know some of you just got really disappointed that you woke up for that. Living a life that carries with it eternal significance, which is a meaningful life, is a life lived by faith. Here's the deal. When we first started this, if you, if you remember, the very first message, we said that what we kind of think Ecclesiastes is, is kind of Solomon inviting us into, for those who weren't here, Solomon is inviting us into telling a better story with our lives, living a life that has eternal significance. But the way he's going about doing it, for the most part, is not telling us all these, here's what you need to do. Rather, uh, in, a, in a very um, negative, almost depressing way sometimes, he just starts picking off the different things in life that we believe, as, in our culture as humans, that we believe truly add value to our lives, or things that we will actually point our lives towards and spend ourselves on achieving. And so Solomon just kind of goes through these, whether it's job promotion, whether it's money, whether it's sex, whether it's your partner. I mean, whoever this is. And not that any of those are bad, but what Solomon is saying is that aiming at that and making that the, the apex of your life is going to show you in the end that you've, you've lived a meaningless life that has no eternal significance. And so we get to the end of it, and Solomon closes out with telling us, okay, I've told you all these different things that equal a meaningless life. So here, here's what it means to live a meaningful life. And, and the, the point of that is, or what he gets to is faith. And the reason I wanted to say that is because what, what faith is, is a New Testament concept of what, of what Solomon will unpack into two, two different elements. Okay? But here's what I want to say about faith real quick. Because faith is oftentimes, which is why I'm glad Solomon does this, is oftentimes something that we really dumb down in our culture, dumb down in our church. It's, we, we dumb it down to either a verbal expression. I have faith in God. Well, how do you know? Because I, because I said it. I went to an altar. I, I said all this stuff. And so, therefore, I have, I have faith in, in God. Or maybe you're on the other side of the denominational fence and faith is this, this real weird spooky thing that you're supposed to muster up like spiritual constipation and then finally you'll... Um, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's either or. And, and Solomon is going to show us that, well, you'll, no, it, it's, it's neither. It might, it might involve, you know, a verbal confession. That's, that's not all it is. And so Solomon is going to unpack for us this idea. Because when you, when you look at the New Testament, I mean, faith is a big deal, right? I mean, it's, it's faith that pleases God. And we would have, I'm, in my opinion, it would be kind of sad if what it took to please God was just a simple verbal confession. And that's it. And so... Solomon is going to unpack what that looks like to live a life of faith in the here and now. Because remember, this book is not about eternity, even though he talks about eternity's coming and we're going to die one day. But, but what Solomon, this whole book is based around life under the sun. Okay? And so, here's what we're going to do. We're just going to read through the text today. We're going to read a little bit, stop and explain, read a little bit more, stop and explain. And then we're going to come to these last two things that equal a meaningful life or a life of significance under the sun. And we're going to unpack those a little bit more and talk about what they mean. So let's pray and then we'll get to the text. Father, 
I thank you for your people. I thank you that you have uh, that you've called us, that you've saved us, that you've sent us. I thank you for your word. I thank you that you've given us a word that, that not only stands in stark contrast with the way we value life, but also points us with hope into another direction. God, I thank you for this body of people who, who I honestly believe um, desire deeply to live that sort of faith out loud uh, in their neighborhoods, at their jobs, uh, and in this city. So, Father, as we go through this, just give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And then we pray. Amen. So Solomon starts with a few, uh, just, just little proverbs, if you will. He says, um, if the clouds are full of rain, they will empty themselves on the earth. And whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, the tree will lie wherever it falls. In other words, whatever will be, will be. It is what it is. He goes on and says, he who watches the wind will not sow and he who observes the clouds will not reap. Another way for saying that would be uh, waiting for ideal conditions leads to doing nothing like a fortune cookie. Um, just as you do not know the path of the wind or how the bones form in the womb of a pregnant woman, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. So sow your seed in the morning and do not stop working until the evening. For you do not know which activity will succeed, whether this one or that one, or whether both will prosper. Here's what Solomon is saying. He's saying we, the, the reality is, as much as we want to pretend like we do, we really don't understand in, in full the eternal perspective of God or the eternal plan of God. So the, so the deal is, is don't, don't sit around and wait for opportunity to come to you. Rather, use what you have right where you're at to make opportunity of it. He goes on and he says, banish emotional stress. Did I skip something there? Did I? Yeah. So, okay. So if a man lives many years, let me back up. So if a man lives many years, let him rejoice in them all. But let him remember the days of darkness will be many. Now Solomon's starting to shift. He's going somewhere with this. All that is about to come is obscure. Now, if you'll remember throughout the rest, the, the earlier part of this book, Solomon continues to compare and contrast this idea of the way we live life now and the reality that death is coming for us. Like there's a lot of things that are not going to come for everybody. But one thing that is coming for everybody in this room is death. Every one of us will experience that. It is going to happen. But now Solomon is beginning to say, okay, we've established the death idea, but there's actually coming another time in life as almost to put an urgency on the way we live now. There's coming another time in life when uh, you're going to almost wish death would get here quick. Another chipper part. Yeah. Rejoice, young man, while you are young, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Follow the impulses of your heart and the desires of your eyes, but know that God will judge your motives and actions. Again, so Solomon is talking about, he, we're, we're comparing this youth thing, and he's going to get into this age thing. But what he's saying while you're young, he's saying, go ahead, follow the desires of your heart. Follow that which God puts on your mind or puts on your heart to go after. But he, but he adds balance to it. He says, he says but, but while you're following that, while you're going after that, go after it with the understanding and the knowledge that when it's all said and done, God's going to judge whether you did that in or outside of his realm. It says, banish emotional stress from your mind and put away pain from your body for youth and the prime of life are fleeting. In other words, steward your body, steward your mind, steward the life that you have now, steward it well, because one day it's going to catch up with you. So remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come. 
All right, confession time. Ready? We've known each other for about three years. And there are some things, and I think we've all got different things, some weird phobias that we all have, right? Everybody's a little different. Some people are freaked out by clowns or what have you. I've, I know, strange. I do not get it. But I've got three phobias that I think are, I think are strange. Um, and I'm just going to tell you what they are. And then, and then we'll get on with this. Uh, two of them have nothing to do with the text, but I thought since we're being open, I'll share this with you. The first one is I am freaked out by oil. Oil. Like freaked out by it. The, 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 the touch of it on your skin, the look of it on your skin gives me the pea shiver. I'm just like freaked out, okay? I was the guy, I was the guy who would be, who would be so like, what is he talking about, pea shiver? Don't lie. And so I was the guy, I was the guy who would be in Florida with his guy friends walking down the beach and there's a girl oiled up and they're like, check her out. And I'm like, no. I'm the guy who would never put oil on somebody else. Literally, we're driving last year uh, on our our yearly trip to Peoria. We, We don't like doing the fast food thing, but you know, when you're on a trip with kids, sometimes it is your savior. And so we're driving down, we got, we've got Ellie a uh, um, uh, hash brown deal, and I look back, and she's got this oil running down her fingers, and I am, I am flipped out. And so it's like the, the, the most scary, the, the imaginable thing for me is someone put me in a tub of oil. I would just say, I die, I die. Um, so I know, that is strange, but uh, the next one is uh, plane turbulence. Plane turbulence. Being on a plane, turbulence freaks me out. I'm convinced the reason God gave us the ability to make hard liquor. I'm convinced because, listen, uh, my mom is a flight attendant. I have two other family members who are pilots. They've explained the whole deal to me, and I don't care what. It's a 20-ton chunk of metal floating in the air. And when that starts to shake, it freaks me out. So we're, we're coming back from our first trip from Haiti and uh, we're flying into Miami, and the pilot gets on and says, hey, a big storm just hit Miami, but I think we've got this. <laughs> you think you got it. I need a little more than I think. And so we, we, start, we start barreling in, and, um, okay, well, on a, let me back a little. On a mission trip, it, it doesn't take three years to get to know people, because you, you're doing some weird things together right away. And so I kind of express this to people in case something weird happens on the plane on the way back. They'll know what's going on. And so as soon as the pilot says this, somebody jumps up, turns around with the video camera, and, and they, so they've got this blackmail because yeah, it, was, it was like a baby. Um, and so we hit this storm, and the, and, the, and the plane starts shaking, and he says, you know, we, we don't have it. I'm like, sweet, we're right in the storm, and now we don't have it. And so he says, but we're going we're gonna to divert to Nassau, and I'm thinking the Bahamas was the second choice, and we chose, let's go for it. So, so there's, there's the other one. Um, the other one, and this is, uh, is, is age. Age freaks me out. I'm just, scares me. I used to tell my mom growing up I wanted to die by the time I'm 30. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't kidding. I'm, I'm glad that God didn't listen to that prayer. Um, it's 40 now. No, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm petrified by age. I'm freaked out by it. I, I really am. And a, 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 a new kind of, uh, I guess... Fear came up on me a couple years ago. Sarah and I were in the living room watching, watching the San Antonio, San Antonio Spurs play. And, uh, you, you know, Tim Duncan. I mean, just not, I mean, the dude looks old. And so I'm looking at his mug, and I'm thinking, man, that dude is playing. He's playing good for being as old as he is. And Sarah looks back at me and says, I bet he's younger than you. I'm like, no way. And so I Googled it, and sure enough, he's, he is younger than me. And I spent the next two hours obsessed Googling people who I thought looked older than me, who were, in fact, 
younger than me. And yeah, and so, so I came up, I kind of got this, I've always liked working out, but I've come up with this new obsession that I'm trying to push my body. And, and the, the bad thing about that is, is that every time I do that, in the morning, it's like A just sitting in a chair with its legs crossed winking at me, saying, I'm doing it. And now here's the thing, here's the thing about oil. As stupid as that is, I can always dry myself off with a dry towel, and I'm, I'm good for the most part. Uh, with, with a plane, I do know statistically that it's going to level out, we're going to be good, or it's going to crash, and I've got two minutes of fear left, and, that, and we're good. But when it comes to age, if I don't die quick, that sucker is just going to come at me really, and everyone in here, really slow. And it's going to be a constant reminder of who we're not anymore. And Solomon, so this part is like, forget the dragons in Revelation, forget all that stuff. This is the most scary part of the Bible for me. Because what Solomon is getting ready to do is he is getting ready to use these Jewish idioms or these metaphors to describe the aging process to us. Now, some of you are going to read this and you have young kids and you're like, no, he's talking about being a parent. But it's it's age, I promise you. But it is kind of funny how, anyway. Okay, so remember your creator in the days of your youth before the difficult days come and the years draw near when you will say, I have no pleasure in them. And he goes, he says, before the sun and the light of the moon and the stars grow dark and the clouds disappear after the rain. The, the idiom here is that he's talking, about, he's talking about essence. He's talking about purpose. He's talking about value. And he's saying, basically, as light is to the moon and stars, so, is rain, so rain is to clouds, so is vitality, mental sharpness, creativity to youth. And one day they all empty out. When those who keep watch over the house begin to tremble and the viral men begin to stoop over. In other words, the strength, the bravery, and the courage that you used to be able to rely on, one day is relieving you. And you will only be left remembering what you can't do anymore. And the grinders begin to cease because they grow few. What's he talking about? Anybody? Teeth. Yeah, he's talking about our teeth falling out. And the grinders, they didn't have orthodontics back then. And the grinders begin to cease because they grow few. And those who look through the windows grow dim and the doors along the street are shut. What's he talking about there? Eyesight. Eyesight. But if you, if you look back through the, through the rest of the text, if you... It's almost like Solomon is saying, hey guys, here's the deal. Your eyes are going to fail you. One day, you're not going to be able to take in visually what you used to be able to take in. So why don't you slow down a little bit in life and take time to look at the beauty that is around you. Adore your wife, adore your kids, because one day, all that will be left is not what you can see, but what you can remember. When the sounds of the grinding mill grows low and one awakened by the sounds of a bird and all their songs grow faint. He's talking about this weird thing that kind of happens when you're old. Number one, you begin to lose your hearing, right? And so it's almost like the, it's almost like the, the sight thing. I think Solomon would be saying, hey, I know you're in a rush to get here, but one day you will not have the laughter of your kids filling your house. Slow down and listen to that. One day you won't be able to hear the beauty of nature anymore. Stop for a moment and listen because your ears will fail you. But then he turns it on its flip side and he says, but there's also going to come a day when you're not going to know what a good night's sleep is because all of a sudden it'll seem like your hearing works great at night and you can't sleep through the night. 
then he says, and they are afraid of heights and the dangers in the street. You notice, like I just admitted one of them, but have you noticed that it seems like the older people get, the more fearful or more overly cautious they get of things that used to never bother them? I used to take my, grand, my great-grandfather outside and set him down and jump on the trampoline and do stupid stuff just because it was fun to see him freak out. Yeah. Um, and I think God's paid me back for my kids, so. Um, and he says, the almond blossoms grow white. And here's, back then they had, they had this, back then, they, they have this tree called, uh, there was an almond blossom tree. And in the spring of its life, it would, uh, these beautiful pink buds uh, would appear all over the top of it. It'd be so full that you really couldn't even see the branches. And then as the fall came along, they would all turn white and the wind would come along and blow them all away and leave it bare. He's talking about hair. He's talking about hair, the loss of hair. And the grasshopper drags itself along. Just not, so in other words, it's not as easy to move as it used to be. And this next one is kind of funny. Um, it's what it means. And the caper berry shrivels up. Now, now here's the deal. I know for some of you young men, I just read the scariest verse in the Bible to you. Um, but the caper berries were aphrodisiacs back then. And what's funny is we got Solomon saying this. It like saves us to last. He's like, oh, you think all that other stuff was bad? Yeah, it's going to get really bad. And, and you got Solomon who's 700 wives, 300 concubines, and he's the one's like, man, I didn't think anything got as bad as age. But. And so he's just telling us the reality that, man, age is coming for you. And there's going to be times when you remember what you used to could do, but you can't anymore, and you wish those dark days would end and you would die. And then he says, because man goes to his eternal home, and the mourners go about in the streets. Before the silver cord is removed, or the golden bowl is broken, or the pitcher is shattered at the well, or the water wheel is broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the life's breath returns to God who gave it. It's almost like Solomon is saying, there's, there's coming a day when the life you've been given, the breath you've been given, the soul that you have been given is going to be demanded back from you. And God is going to ask you, what did you do with this breath while you had it on loan? What did you do with this life while I loaned it out to you? What did you do with it? And it's almost like God gifted us, as scary as it is, with the aging process as a stark, urgent reminder that one day you're not going to be able to do all the things that I've made you to do. It's a reminder to get us into gear. So he goes on, he says this, he says, having heard everything. So in the last 11 chapters, or after living the life that Solomon has lived, I mean, Solomon experienced more on a Friday night than we have in an entire lifetime combined. He's saying, after living through everything I've lived, after observing everything I've observed, after teaching everything I've taught, I've come to this conclusion. In other words, this is what life is about. This is what matters. Fear God and keep his commandments because this is the whole duty of man. For God will evaluate every deed, including every secret thing, whether good or evil, based off of your commitment to fearing God and obeying his commands. What's, what I find interesting here is that, uh, that phrase, the whole duty of man, can actually be translated the wholeness of man. It's like Solomon is saying, not only are these duties that we have to do, obey God and 
there's something even deeper to it. That that wholeness that every human being was made to seek, that sometimes we might seek in a spouse, we might seek in a significant other, we might seek in a job, we might seek in money and promotion or whatever. Solomon has spent the last nine, ten chapters saying, you won't find it there. It'll just leave it meaningless. And what I'm telling you now is that to fear God and to obey his commands is the very place you will find the wholeness that you have spent your life seeking. And so what I want to do is I just want to kind of unpack um, three different truths that are in here and then we'll close out. The first truth is this. While the fear of God and obedience to God are separate ideas, they are completely dependent on and necessitate each other. While the fear of God and obedience to God are separate ideas, they are completely dependent on and necessitate each other. In other words, you cannot obey God unless you fear God. And the more you obey God, the deeper your fear for God will be. You cannot obey God unless you fear God. And the more you obey God, the deeper your fear for God will be. The second truth is this. When we talk about the fear of God, we are talking about a deep trust that is formed out of deep felt conviction, respect, and understanding of who God is and what he has done. When we talk about the fear of God, we are talking about a deep trust that is formed out of deep felt conviction, respect, and understanding of who God is and what he has done. In other words, here's what Solomon is saying. That this weird concept, this fear of God, he's not necessarily talking about we're supposed to be scared of God. It's, that's that We use fear different. But there is this deep awe involved in it. But what he's saying is that what it really means to fear God or proof that you fear God in this, in this context is that everything that makes you who you are, the decisions that you make, how you build relationships, how you interact with your family. If you really fear God, like this says, all of that is filtered through, guided by, and an outcome of your deep trust for God. It's when the whole of life is informed and reoriented around God's word, God's values, and God's heart for his world. And the third truth is this. When we talk about obedience, we talk about a way of life, which is the fruit of fearing God. I want to park it here a little bit and explain something about obedience. When we talk about obedience, we talk about a way of life, which is the fruit of fearing God. See, here's what's weird about obedience, and I'm convinced uh, that, I I think we do this with a lot of things. We like, we like that dang fly, someone spray oil on it. Um, I think that uh, when, when we talk about, when we, when we think of obedience um, and really a lot of the elements in life, we like to dumb it down as quick as we can to something that we can manage and really doesn't require a lot of us so that we can continue to live the life that we want to live. Does, does that make sense? In other words, if you look through, if you look through the, um, the Old Testament, God is always bringing an indictment against his people for not obeying him. Yet, 
if you were to compare what the actual laws were, the do's and don'ts, compared to the way they lived, in our mindset, it looks like they were legitimately, if not even more so, obeying it. But the thing about obedience is this. The thing about obedience is this. True obedience, because the thing that God is indicting them for, true obedience is a life lived so far outside of yourself that you can't handle it. And that's what God was always indicting against the Jews. Is they wanted to dumb it down because they didn't want to have to rely and depend on God so much so. They wanted to box him in. They wanted to box in this idea of obedience so they could be the people that they wanted to be. But if you look through the New Testament, if you look through the Old Testament, God never really counts that as obedience. Obedience to God is always, always, always a life that is so dependent upon him that it will live so far outside of itself that it continually has to depend on him to keep it up. It's like this. The idea of obedience is to live with fear, is to live with and for the heart of God and his love for others with such reckless abandonment that if God were to pull out of your life, your life would crash. See, here's the reality for a lot of us. That if God were to pull out of our life today, we would just go on like normal tomorrow. But the idea of obedience is to to depend on God so heavily that I live so far outside of myself for others that if he were to pull out, my life wouldn't work anymore. I think think one of the most beautiful pictures we have of this is, is in the garden. I think this is where Jesus comes bounding out of the scriptures in the garden of Gethsemane. When he gets on his knees and he begins to cry, sweat drops of blood. Because see, God has asked him, the son, to live so far outside of himself that Jesus, as a man, cannot handle it. And so he goes to the garden to lean so heavily on God that he even tells, I don't want to do this. He says, but I'm leaning and I trust, on, I trust in you so heavily that I'll do it, but you've got to carry me there. See, Jesus lived a type of life that had the father pulled out of his life, it would have been wasted. And I know this is where Matthew is supposed to hammer you guys on you need to be more faithful. Because that's what I usually do. But as I'm studying this, my heart began to just, I don't know, be humbled that I get to serve in a congregation like this. That I get to serve and lead, help lead a group of people that are doing everything they can in their own brokenness to live in that sort of obedience. Who have opened their eyes up to the reality that obedience is not some simple do's and don'ts that allows me to live the life I want to live. But have have opened their lives up to the reality that that obedience is depending so heavily on God that I am moved so far outside of myself that if he were to pull out, it would crash. I look at I look at the hat makers and I see a family who didn't, who didn't start with this idea, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do this. I'm going to mess my family up by adopting them. And I'm gonna... But all they wanted, they left everything they knew to follow a path they couldn't see the end to and still can't because they depended so heavily on God. And this, this is the way it works. It's like God says, okay, I want you to leave everything you've got. 
I want you to take this step. And here's what we want to do. But I, I can't see the step. And God is like, well, then you're not leaning into me hard enough. Lean harder and take the step anyway. I'll be there. And so they, they take that and everything, everything, everything. It kind of gets okay. And then God says, now you've, you've created this nice little picture for you and your three kids. And everything is, is wonderful. Now, I want, you to take, I want you to take another step. And I want you to bring two kids into your life. They would never know the love of a father or a mother. And I, it's going to wreck your family for a little bit. It's going to, when I say wreck, I mean it's going to be hard. And everything I've ever planned is going to be disrupted. But you're going to be the gospel to them. And you're going to show them my love. But I can't handle it. That's the point. You're not supposed to handle it. It forces you to lean more on me. I think of families like the Sheltons. I just I remember a video they did three years ago and thinking where they're at now. I wish, guys, and I'm sorry, I wish I had a list of every family here who I've been able to see, who I've heard about, who said, I just want to leave this, this idea of do and don't, of check the box faith, to, to lean so heavily into God so that he can pull me into an obedience that is so far outside of myself. There's some of you here that are wrestling with that idea. There's some of you who want that so bad. And part of you is saying, I've got to make this decision based on logic and, 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 what's, you know, and what the American uh, standardized look of the good life looks like. Or, or I just, but I hear this voice that is calling me into an unknown that I don't, I can't see it. And can I tell you, if that's you, you're surrounded by good company. And I would tell you to, to take the path of faith, not the path of what we think is security. So I'm not ending today's message by hammering anybody on you need to live with more faith. Maybe you do. I think we all do. But I'm saying thank you for being the church that you are. I have constantly, when I travel, I have people say, okay, so how do you get them to serve? I say, well, we just do like an arm wrestling booth. And which is why the Lear boys never serve. But no, I'm, I'm kidding. That was a joke. There's <laughs> a joke because they beat me in arm wrestling. Just, okay. And I said, no, because... I, I think we just have a people that want to love God with everything they are. That they don't understand a different way of living outside of just chasing him hard into the end. So for those of you who are doing it, thank you. For those who are wrestling with it, I'm telling you, take the step. Take the step that requires faith, not the one that because this is the kind of people that God is going to use. And amidst all of our broken, I'm not saying we have it perfect, but amidst all of our brokenness and all of our failures, this is the kind of broken people that God wants to use for the city, for your neighborhoods, for your family. So to end Ecclesiastes, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for being the people you are. Thank you for loving God the way you do. Thank you for chasing him. I love you guys. Let's pray.